Dr Michael Pollitt, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today. We're here at the Electricity Policy Research Group seminar tonight, part of the Cambridge Science Festival. We're looking at reducing household energy consumption and emissions too smart by half. Why this discussion now? I think the reason why we're discussing household energy emissions now is because the government has agreed to a 10-year rollout of smart meters in every home, Um, smart meters both in electricity and gas, with the express intention of facilitating uh, household energy emissions reduction. And, And in terms of doing that, you know, there's talk of a green deal. It's clearly very topical at the moment, both in terms of policy makers in and around government and in terms of consumers making their choices for their own household appliances. But you did have a very knowledgeable expert panel looking at various topics within that field of reducing household energy consumption. Can you just tell me who they were and what they talked about? So we had a team of our younger researchers at uh, EPRG. So we had Adam Reisnack, who's an engineer in the Department of Engineering. We had Scott Kelly, who is another engineer in the Department of Land Economy. And then we had two of our research uh, economists, Laura Platchcloth and Irina Sharshadze. And let's just start with Adam. Now, he looked at at how we build our homes and to what standards and how long it will actually take us to achieve those government energy efficiency saving standards it wasn't hopeful was it in in terms of you know how many homes need to be built to those standards by when it doesn't look as if we're going to meet the targets yes i think the key thing that came across from adam's presentation was that we're not going to be able to build new efficient buildings and get ourselves to these targets that the government have set. It is going to be substantially about retrofitting um, demand reduction measures to existing buildings. And, and in terms of those retrofitting and amendments, you know, some surprises in what we were looking at and the choices we were given, because as ever, the Electricity Policy Research Group had an interactive seminar and we could vote on those choices, both as policymakers and consumers. So if we look at, at double glazing, actually that was the worst economy of all. Yeah, it was interesting, wasn't it, that some of these uh, high-profile measures um, that we think of as reducing energy demand are actually not as cost-effective as some of the less uh, visible methods. Double glazing is very expensive in terms of upfront cost and actually um, is quite expensive in terms of uh, the, the savings in terms of energy, whereas some of the less flashy things like um, turning your thermostat down or lagging your Uh, hot water tank, they're actually much more cost-effective. And and if we look at government policies, Scott told us actually, I mean, we'll start at the end of his presentation, it was pessimistic again, we're nowhere near ever reaching, you know, the targets that government set for our energy efficiency savings. Why is that, do do you think? Is it just sort of, if you like, inertia uh, by consumers, so-called barriers, the costs are too difficult, you know, householders aren't taking responsibilities for their actions? Well, I think it's um, it's a combination of a lot of things. I, I think that actually to make 
serious inroads on our targets, which are extremely ambitious, we do need to incur very high costs. And at the moment, the sorts of costs that we are incurring in terms of £75 uh, a year for each household are actually very low. I mean, they're only a small percentage of total energy bills at the moment, and they're only having likely to have a small effect. If we want to have a large effect, we'll be paying much more um, in terms of a percentage of our bill towards both these energy efficiency measures that we were talking about tonight and also renewable energy production. But might it not be like the health messages of the past? You know, 20 years ago we were being told salt's good for us, and no, it's bad for us, red wine's good for us, no, it's bad for us, no one's ever decided on chocolate yet, it might make us more amorous. But, but aren't these Green Deal measures, these energy efficiency measures, equally confusing for the consumers? Well, I think I think the lovely thing about energy efficiency measures, which is why we're so interested in them, is that they are usually unambiguous improvements and that actually they can be achieved at fairly low cost. And the Green Deal had this golden rule that we were talking about tonight, which was that they it had to be self-financing in its own terms. So very few of the government's uh, policies actually meet that sort of criterion, and that's what makes the Green Deal and the energy efficiency measures that it might finance so interesting. Now, if we t- look to Irene's presentation, which was about smart meters... And, you know, how we, if you like, convert to the smart meter habit, what the government's doing, what consumers uh, need to do, they do pay over three years. It's one of the energy-saving measures that if you invest in a smart meter, you do actually get your returns uh, eventually. Is that the way forward? Are they going to make the savings that we need? Well, of course, they do pay if you respond to the smart meter. That was, I think, the point that Arena brought across very clearly, that if you do respond to the extra information that you get from your smart meter and and, and adjust your consumption behavior, if you do sign up to a smart uh, tariff or you sign up for for a a smart appliance that can make use of the, the functions of the smart meter, then, yes, you do get savings as a result of of smart meters. So smart meters are very much a facilitating technology. They will permit the introduction of smarter tariffs and they will allow smart uh, fridges and smart dishwashers and smart washing machines that can respond to external signals or respond to price signals to be connected in your home. Um, But on their own, they may have very little effect. But actually, it's not the consumer's fault, is it? Because consumers, there's a very high acceptance rate, you know, for, for if you like, low returns. Consumers are willing to make these adaptations, these changes in their lifestyle habits. There's something else going on psychologically behind all of this, other than, well, if I do double glazing or if I put in a smart meter, I'll save this. People want, if you like, to join up to saving the planet. Well, I think they, they. I think the interesting thing from our research is that, yes, you're right. There are a, 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 long, a significant percentage of people who are willing to accept demand reduction measures for fairly low compensation. But of course, that's because they don't cost them anything, and that, in a sense, is very different from some of these other measures that we've been talking about, which are much more expensive. So, so yes, I think there is a lot of goodwill towards these measures precisely because they're associated with cost saving. 
and being modern, actually, you know, being a modern consumer in a, a modern age too. Perhaps it's about our lifestyle and how we view ourselves. But turning to Laura and her after thoughts, you know, this was slightly shocking because she looked at how you spend your £300 a year savings from all these green measures that you're adopting as a consumer and that the policymakers are passing down to us. But actually, she talked about rebounds and backfiring. So if we go out and spend all these savings on shoppings, we might, or a new car that's old-fashioned, we might in one foul deed undo the good that we have done. Yes, well, that is a a big worry. I mean, we don't want some of these demand reduction measures that people might take within their home to just be the the superficial action that people take on climate change, which actually, if they look at their whole lifestyle, um, they aren't actually... Um, going to make a big difference to to climate change. So, yes, rebound is a very significant issue. Um, I think the good news is that although rebound effects are significant, it may be up to 30% of the original savings that you get from implementing measures may be offset by what you then do with the money, uh, that still leaves 70%. Um, So there is probably a net saving. It's probably significant. Um, and therefore it's worth going after, especially if it's at low cost to society overall. Do you think perhaps the British government needs to adopt a bit of what China's doing, which is saying, well, actually, you know, it's behind brands because brands people want and they stimulate the, the economy, but actually there are some things that consumers don't need choices in. Perhaps if we were just told what to do, not given a, a choice, it might be an easier way to save the planet. Do you think there'll be more if you like dictates in the future, like there's going to be on our health and, and you know, not having health care if we smoke or drink, do you think that, that we might get some top-down messages from governments, we've got to use this appliance at this time? Yes, I, I think we already have that on the supply side of energy. We've got very significant government intervention going on there and much more proposed about the sources of energy. I think the government is very aware that... Uh, if you like, demand response and voluntary demand response, offering people a choice to save energy and uh, and save money is actually potentially a very popular policy. And I think the last thing they would want to do is actually make the whole um, of energy and environmental policy tied up with big brother images of controlling people's lifestyles and knowing everything about their behaviour and forcing them to do things. Um, so I think they're very conscious that they don't want to push this demand side too far um, for for fear of the sort of reaction that we've seen in the Netherlands, which is um, the, the, the government having to abandon a mandatory smart meter rollout. But regulation is the buzzword for the future in all aspects of our life, some would say. Well, I think um, smart regulation is the sort of regulation that people don't necessarily see. Um, whereas the, the problem with demand side ne- measures is people are actually potentially very conscious of them. People don't see where their electricity comes from when it comes out of the wall, but they do see um, interventions in when they use their dishwasher. Well, Michael, if we're going to take a minute's mm. walk through that futuristic house that we will live in in 30 years' time. We wake up in the morning, our washing machine is telling us that we can put the washing in at a certain time. Our heating control is being adjusted by our body heat as we walk from room to room. Just take us through your tour of the home of the future. 
Well, of course, there are two homes of the future. There's the home of the future, which is the homes that we have now, which are retrofitted to the future. And then there's the, the home that's being built in 2030, which has all the technology built into it. Um, I think in terms of retrofit, we will see um, people adopting the existing um, energy-saving measures more, perhaps as a result of the uptake of the Green Deal. We'll see everybody with a smart meter. We'll see some people having signed up to smarter tariffs and really getting on board with those. We'll see some people who, le- who leave them behind. Um, in terms of the brand-new house and all the stuff that will be associated with that, I think the, the, the key thing there will be that the smartness is going on in the background. We want smart energy to become like mobile phones. We all use them, appreciate their technology, but we don't have any idea how they work. And I think that is what a smart energy home will, will look like. Your thermostat will be self-adjusting to whatever the temperature is. You will only periodically interfere with it when you notice that it's not um, providing you with the comfort that you want. Your smart appliances will be running in the background completely uh, remotely according to algorithms that you've, you've agreed to. And um, everything will be done as automatically as possible. Well, I just think that perhaps we ought to practice what we preach and turn off that projector that's been buzzing in the background. We've not only got to thank you, uh, Michael Pollitt, for today's talk at the Electricity Policy Research Group as part of the Cambridge uh, Science Festival of, of, of Ideas, but we've also got to thank Laura, Adam, Irene and Scott as well. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you.